We're officially, I was telling somebody before the service, officially looking at what I understand to be the last story of the baby Jesus. Last story about the baby Jesus recorded in our Bible. You'll find it in Luke chapter 2, 22 through 40. Uh, I love this story. I really, really love this story. But if you've been here long enough, you know that I love a lot of the Bible stories. But this one is pretty high up there. I love this one quite a bit. Uh, great story, Luke chapter 2, 22 through 40. I'm going to read it and then we're going to jump in uh, to the message. So Luke chapter 2. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So Mary Mary and Joseph, good Jews, bringing their new baby to the temple. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, They returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Love this story. I came across another uh, story that I found pretty interesting uh, regarding, uh, this was in in what's called the Midrash. That's a fancy word. The Midrash is essentially a commentary on the Jewish scriptures. Commentary, musings, thoughts, it's very interesting things that will show up in the Midrash as rabbis over the centuries and teachers of the law looked at the Old Testament. And this particular story is of two Israelites, Reuben and Simeon, or Simon, I'm sorry, Reuben and Simon, who were walking across the Red Sea. They were part of the group leaving Egypt when when Moses, well, when God allowed Moses to part the Red Sea. So God performed the miracle. And so here's the story. I thought this was an interesting story. So apparently the bottom of the sea, though safe to walk on, was a bit muddy, like the beach at at low tide. Okay. So Reuben steps in and he curls his lip and he says, what is this muck? And Simon following after scowls and says, there's mud all over the place. And Reuben says, yeah, it's just like the mud pits of Egypt. 
Simon responds, what's the difference? Mud here, mud there, it's all the same. And so it went for the two of them just grumbling about the mud all the way across the Red Sea. Grumbling so much about the mud that they get to the other side and they don't know why everybody is shouting praises. Is so excited about what just happened. For Reuben and Simon, the miracle never happened. See, these two were paying attention to the wrong thing. They're paying attention to the wrong thing. They missed the miracle. They missed God's presence. They missed God's activity in the world. And so this morning, I want to contend that when we pay attention, we have a chance to see that there is another world right here within this one, that God is actually present and actively paying attention to us. Because I think we, like Reuben and Simon, we have trouble paying attention. We have an inability to pay attention that's actually caused us to change our way of being in the world there's a former Apple and Microsoft executive named Linda Stone. She said that this has caused this phenomenon called continuous partial attention. We practice continuous partial attention. Here's what she says. Or actually, here's a, a, what was... A, <laughs> sorry, I, I jumped ahead. Darn it. I let you in on my next little, little thing here that I thought I was so ready for. She says, continuous partial attention is to pay partial attention continuously. Okay. We want to effectively scan for every opportunity and optimize for the best opportunities, activities, contacts in any given moment. We don't want to miss anything. We want to be busy, connected, and to be busy and connected is to be alive, to be recognized, to matter. And she says this, it's always on, anywhere, anytime, any place behavior that involves an artificial sense of constant crisis. This is what it means to pay continuous partial attention. So it's doing something to us. It's changing our way of being in the world when our mind is focused on all of these different things. We have trouble paying attention to what really matters. It, what, it's, it, it's what led one person to tweet this, this crazy thing he, he, he saw. He said, there's a guy in this coffee shop sitting at a table not on his phone, not on a laptop, just drinking coffee like a psychopath. <laughs> I mean, I, I had to admit, as I came across this, I was sitting in Starbucks <laughs> writing this message. <laughs> this is hilarious. I'm writing this message, and I looked around, and I was like, there really is only one person in this entire Starbucks who's just sitting there sipping coffee, looking like a psychopath. While the rest of us are on our phones, our computers, or talking to another person, who goes to a coffee shop just to drink coffee these days? It's crazy. But the thing is, uh, this continuous partial attention, it's doing something to us because it's this always on, anywhere, anytime, any place, and this, this sense of the artificial sense of, of constant crisis, it's not good for us. It's not good for us that we're always afraid we might be missing out. We might be missing out. We might be missing something. And so it puts our life into a frenzy. It causes us sometimes to say, like, I don't want to commit to something because something better might come up. So I'm going to hold everybody and everything a little bit at arm's length because you never know if the better thing 
might pop up. And so it's doing something to us. We're always in high alert, constant crisis. And so in that state, we, it makes it hard for us to decipher, to discern what is most important. What's most important? When we're in that state, it's really hard to know what should I really be paying attention to? What really matters? And so in this state, we miss God all the time. We're like Reuben and Simon are going, oh, it's so muddy. All the while, the sea has been parted. There's a miracle happening all around us and we don't see it because we're focused on the wrong things. We fail to see that there's another world at work right here where God is paying attention to us, where God is actively present in this world. Years ago, I heard uh, now the president of Fuller Seminary, Mark Laberton, he claimed that the whole of Scripture... The whole of Scripture is about paying attention. It's the whole call of being in a relationship with God. He said, here's how I put it. God pays attention to people. So this is the, the, the beginnings of the story, that God is paying attention to us. And he calls us to pay attention to him. And then he says, if you're paying attention to him, go and pay attention to others. God is paying attention to us He's asking for us to pay attention to him so that then he can urge us to go and pay attention to others. And so if this is true, what, what this Mark Laberton said from Fuller, this continuous partial attention, it has the potential to wreak havoc on our spirituality, on our relationship with God. Because we, we can't see God at work because we're worried about all the other things. Worried about all the other things. This morning, though, I, I want to look at, what I want to do this morning is look at in our text that I read for you earlier, the example of Anna and Simeon who paid attention really, really well. Their whole life was about paying attention to God. And then I want to challenge us at the end to get back to the basics of us paying attention to God, knowing that He is paying attention to us because I believe that when we pay attention, we have a chance to see that there's another world right here within this one, that God is present, is active, and he's paying attention to us. So in our text, Jesus' parents bring the baby Jesus to the temple. They're presented as God-fearing, law with a capital L abiding Jews. They enter the temple courts. A man appears named Simeon. Here's what we know about Simeon. Let's look at Simeon. He was devout and righteous. So Luke has these things about Simeon. Devout and righteous. This is Bible talk for someone who is committed to following God's ways. He is devoted to paying attention to God. He gets it. Simeon gets it. His whole life is about paying attention to what God has asked him to do. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Okay, what's that about? That's weird. I'm just going to just say it. If you haven't been to seminary, that's like weird language. Who around here is like, I am waiting for the consolation? What? Who uses this language? Okay, let's try to put it into today's terms. One translation says he's eagerly awaiting the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. He is believing, here's the thing, he is believing that God is paying attention to people still. When everybody else around is maybe saying, give it up, God's not active and present, give it up, he is saying, no, I believe, even though maybe we haven't seen God working the way we did in the past, that God is still active and we should still wait for him and we should expect him 
to act because I believe God is still paying attention to us, still has a plan for us. In the message paraphrase, Eugene Peterson translates this consolation of Israel to, he lived in prayerful expectancy of help for Israel. Again, he believed God was still paying attention. And then the text also says, Luke says about Simeon, that the Holy Spirit was on him. So here it is. Simeon not only believed God was paying attention to people, but Simeon was paying attention to God. He believed that there is another world right here within this one, that, that, that there's not this kind of God is out there somewhere, but that it's all right here. And so the Holy Spirit was on him. God was active in his life. And the result of his in-tuneness with God, his paying attention to God, he was led by that Spirit to go to the temple that day. That day the Spirit said, go, and he went to the temple that day. And on that day, he encounters Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, and he sees what everybody else missed. Have you thought about this story? This is what I find so fascinating about this story. The temple courts are filled with people. There are people buying and selling the the animals they need for sacrifice, There's people maybe just doing business transactions. This was kind of a public marketplace that they're in, in the temple courts. You have have maybe several families bringing babies and, and children to be dedicated to the Lord. There's all of these people there. In Simeon's long lifetime of faithfulness, he maybe saw hundreds, thousands of children just like the scene unfolding here. This happened hundreds or thousands of times in Simeon's lifetime. But something about that day, he's so in tune with God, that he sees that something different has happened. That this baby is worth paying attention to. So on this day, his paying attention is eager, eagerness to, to see God at work. His prayerful expectancy on this day has paid off. He takes the baby in his arms. And did you catch the words he says about this baby? Just as you promised, God, you've answered my prayers, my hopes. Now I can depart from this world in peace because, and here's what, I just love this. My eyes have seen what? I have seen salvation. That's what he says about this baby. I have seen salvation prepared in plain sight for all the nations, a light to the Gentiles, the glory of Israel. How, how can someone, it makes me think, how could this guy come up to a baby, and just, just humor me for a bit. Again, picture the scene. There's all these people, and it's just crazy, and he comes up to this one baby, and he's so in tune with God that he's able to say, in this baby, I see the salvation of the world. That is quite a pronouncement to make. You, you can only make that kind of pronouncement if you, and be correct. I mean, you can make that kind of pronouncement and not be correct. But you can only make that kind of pronouncement and be correct and truly see Jesus, the baby Jesus for who he is, if you're that in tune with God. It's the only way. The Spirit is on him. He believes God is paying attention to, to, to us, paying attention to the people. He is paying attention to God. And so he sees in this child salvation for the whole world. He sets his eyes on the rescuer, the redeemer. How many hundreds or thousands of others missed it? 
Can you imagine? I mean, Mary and Joseph, they're coming into Jerusalem that day. They're walking by all of these other people who, if they were in tune with God, maybe they would have seen it too. But they walk by all of them and nobody even bats an eye. Nobody stops and says, oh, that kid looks interesting. Nobody else sees it. Everybody else misses it. They miss the miracle. What were they doing that day that caused them to miss the miracle? What were they worried about that day that caused them to miss the miracle? They weren't paying attention. But there's at least one other person who was paying attention. Her name was Anna. Luke tells us that Anna, too, was, was committed to paying attention to God. It's possible that she was a, seen as a little bit of a religious fanatic. And here she is, she's a widow in her 80s, a prophet of some sort. She never leaves the temple courts. What does that mean? She's just there all day, every day. We, we don't, that's what Luke says. She's there all day, every day, fasting, praying, so in tune with God. And so on this day, as she sees what's unfolding with Simeon and this baby, she too sees Jesus, the rescuer, salvation. And I love uh, where Simeon makes this big pronouncement, and maybe people are looking at him and like, sure, Simeon, that baby is the salvation of the world. You bet, crazy religious guy. Anna now, maybe she's a little bit crazy, and this is the hard thing, is like, these people who seem to be most in tune with God also maybe come across a little off their rocker. Because now Anna goes around and she's telling anyone who would listen, listen, I've seen salvation, it's here. God is still paying attention to us. There is hope. She's telling anyone. She's now spreading the news to others, paying attention to others. Simeon and Anna, they believed that God was paying attention to us, that there is indeed another world right here within this one where God is present, God is paying attention to us. We can see him at work even today. I just had to throw in this other story of a rabbi commenting on the miracle of the burning bush. It goes along with the theme of paying attention. This one rabbi I was reading, uh, he actually said the real miracle wasn't the bush. The real miracle was that Moses stopped long enough to notice that the bush didn't burn up. I thought about that for a long time. Because especially now living in a place where bushes burn. I've seen them. And I've driven right by and been like, man, hope somebody takes care of that. That doesn't seem like a good thing. That, those bushes are burning, but oh, that bush burned and it's gone. And you just drive by and you hope somebody will take care of it. I, I wonder how, uh, thinking about this, how commonplace this was in the desert where Moses was. Oh, the bush is on fire. Were there others who just walked by? We don't know. I mean, this, this is kind of where it's fun. The rabbis have some fun with the text. Others that maybe just walked by, but for some reason, the miracle is that Moses stops. He pays attention long enough to see that this is something different. Something special is happening here. And so for Moses, because he's paying attention that day, he has this amazing encounter with God. It causes me to ask when I think of Simeon and Anna, when I think of Moses, when I think of the story of these two knuckleheads going through the Red Sea, what about me? What about us? Because my life is pretty frenetic. I like my games on my phone. 
I like binge-watching old episodes of Survivor there, full confession. I like having those on with my laptop in my lap, sort of working, sort of answering emails, sort of looking at Facebook now, sort of having my phone open. Maybe somebody's going to text me. I live in this way. So would I have missed the burning bush? Would I have missed the miracle of the Red Sea? Would I have missed the baby Jesus in the temple that day? What does it take to cultivate a life of paying attention to God, of believing that God is here? He is active. He is present in this world. And we will see his presence. We will see his activity if we will pay attention. So we have these stories of Simeon and Anna spending their whole lives watching, waiting, prayerfully expecting God to move. There's, I think the part that I struggle with is there's almost a slowness to their life and their lifestyle that I find, it, I find it hard to imagine, could we get there again? Because our life is so fast-paced. We want to be always connected. It's the continuous partial attention thing where it's always on, always connected, always feeling like we're going to miss something if we don't go and go and go and go some more. And so I think about Simeon and Anna, there's a slowness to their life of going to the temple, expecting that even though God didn't, do something yesterday, maybe it's today. There's a faithfulness, a long obedience, a long expectation of faithfulness of God. And one commentator looking at, there's no, there's no way to mince words here. These are older people. These people are older. And one commentator says that for, for others, maybe they would have seen this as wasted time. These people were wasting their time. Think of all the things they could have accomplished. But they went to the temple every day and wasted their time. And for years and years, God never did anything. This is kind of the cynicism of our day, right? All that religion stuff is cute. What are you all doing here? We could be watching football. It's a playoff day. You know, amen. (laughs) Come on. It's just a sense of how do you... How do you cultivate a sense of like Simeon and Anna where they expect God to show up and they continue to go and they're in tune with God and they see God at work all around them? Because I think we are at a similar crossroads today where I imagine people saying to Simeon and Anna, yeah, the religion stuff is cute, guys. It's real cute. But you can't believe God is still active like he was in the past. I mean, we're under Roman rule now. Things aren't really looking good for us. Why do you keep doing Why are you still committed to this? I mean, have you heard the similar language today? I remember, uh, this isn't in my notes, but I'm going to say it anyway, because um, I get to, and I think we're okay on time. I remember going to Sweden a few years ago, and uh, I traveled to Sweden with a, with a friend from seminary, and my friend's wife's cousin was going to pick us up at the airport in Stockholm. And he said... Um, just don't, if you can, let's not mention to him that we're Christians. I was like, all right, I suppose we could do that. I thought that was going to be pretty difficult since the reason we knew each other is because we were studying to be pastors. Um, but so I was like, okay. He goes, he just is a little bit like, he's not cool with Christianity and loves an argument and loves to just get into it with you about it. And it's, the conversations are never good. And so we get in the car, he picks us up, and, and sure enough, the first words out of his mouth is, how do you know each other? And so we're like, well, we're in school together. Oh, in school together, what are you studying? 
We're studying to be pastors. I think one of us just blurted it out, like maybe he won't notice. And so his eyes kind of light up, and Tomas, his eyes kind of light up, and he, and he says, oh, really? Studying to be pastors, huh? And he starts talking then about faith and Christianity, and he makes a comment. He says, I think, and if you know anything about Sweden, Sweden is one of the, the least religious countries in the world right now. And he says, what you're doing in America is really cute. Someday you'll be just like us, and you'll figure out that none of it is true. And, I, and, I, and I, part of me is like, oh, historically, I don't think this is true. We have very different, you know, I'm going through all these things. And I was like, what? But it's, it's always stuck with me because I read these stories of people who are fervent in their faith. And I know people today who are fervent in their faith. And I, I feel like we are getting to a place where it's kind of like, well, isn't that cute? You're committed to faith. Isn't that cute? Hope that works out for you. So I wonder for us, I think the challenge for us today in the kind of climate that we have in our culture, the climate that's happening right now is, is will we allow that to kind of seep in and go, eh, I don't know. Maybe there's other things I could be paying attention to. So the challenge for us, especially for those of us who have been in church a long time, is where do we see God at work today? Are we committed like Simeon and Anna, where we're paying attention, prayerfully expecting God to move and work and pointing it out when we see God moving and working. Like Anna who says, I need to tell everybody what I saw today. Are we doing that? Have, have some of us, have we lost the feeling we had when we first came to faith? We felt the closeness of God. Like the whole world, I don't know how to explain it, but like everything was possible. I kept saying for a while, like, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series, y'all. Anything is possible now. Anything can happen. But that's the kind of sense that I get with Simeon's and Anna's, is that there's this sense that anything is possible. At any moment, God can appear and do something amazing. Do we have that feeling? Do we have that passion for seeing others come into a life-changing relationship with Christ? To help them see that God is already paying attention to them. Not to convince them that God is paying attention to them, but to show them, Did you, do you see where God is already paying attention to you? And now it's your chance to pay attention to God. Or maybe you're here this morning and this is all new to you and this, this idea that there's a being, a God, a source, whatever you might want to call the creator of all things, that still is a little bit hard for you to wrap your mind around. And so what would it look like in this new year to go, hmm, maybe there is something else at work in this world that I can pay attention to that might open my mind to, to new realities, to new things that are possible. Maybe I've been more closed off than I need to be and I can crack my heart open a little bit more, crack my mind open a little bit more to pay attention to the possibility that there is a power at work in this world who's paying attention to us, and we can pay attention to him. And then the amazing thing as we come to the table is that we're invited to participate in the rescue plan. Isn't that crazy that God invites us then in paying attention to him then to pay attention to others, and we get to participate in the rescue plan? So each of us has this opportunity, this challenge in the new year to take a step forward in our paying attention to God, and we're going to look in our next series at really what it means to pay attention to others. It's a chance, I believe, to see God at work, 
like Simeon and Anna, like Moses did, that we could pay attention to the way God is moving, the way God is present and active in our lives and in the lives of others. Would you pray with me? God, all of this paying attention business um, calls us to slow down. And we confess that that's not what we want to do. We want to go fast. We got a lot of things to accomplish. We got a lot of things calling for our attention, competing for our attention. Lord, would your voice be loud in our ears? Lord, would we be able to sift through all the other distractions and hear you? God, help us this day to recommit our lives or to commit our lives for the first time to cultivating an awareness that you are here. You are present in this world. You haven't left us. You haven't forsaken us. You're still here, longing to be in relationship with your people whom you love. Thank you for loving us, for paying attention to us. God, help us. Help us, God, to hear your voice. And then help us to also pay attention to others that we might see our friends, our family, our loved ones, our coworkers, our classmates, Lord, that we might see them grow in their faith and in their relationship with you also. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.